Hey, and welcome back to the history of China. Ah, guess what I was going to say? Yes. Remember, go check out the website at dormroomhistory.com slash thehistoryofchina. The website has posts for each episode in which you will find maps, depictions of our characters, and tons of other info relating to that specific episode, including the links for that episode for all the major services. So you can go and share it with all your friends. Moreover, the website has the donate links and my contact info and comment sections. Though, as always, thank you to all of those who have donated. Thank you, Hannah and Ian. And remember to rate the show and follow it. It may not seem like a lot to you, but it really does go a long way for me. Last time, we were introduced to Huo Guang and the young boy, Emperor Zhao. Through many weird moments, Huo Guang remained steadfast in his dedication to the state. And now as we near the end of Emperor Zhao's 13-year reign, we are not yet near the end of Huo Guang's influence over the dynasty. But I mentioned last week, so let's discuss that last controversial incident for Emperor Zhao. So, without further ado, The History of China, Episode 38, The Regent. The biggest issues to face the Han Dynasty so far have been finances, internal strife, and other pretty run-of-the-mill stuff. And, oh yeah, the diverse group of tribes on their frontiers. Ancient China has yet to face, or let alone even come into contact, with another people's similar to them in our modern conceptions of societal advancement. To the latter, that will very much soon change. But by and large, the Han Dynasty has yet to be threatened in any way by a superpower of its own size and sophistication. The tribal issue, though, is one that will persist and persist because, because you all know that Genghis Khan will exist. And lo and behold, Huo Guang and Emperor Zhao's most controversial decision. It is less of a controversy and more of an ethical hypothetical. Some would view this as totally okay, while others would see it as unethical and immoral. And honestly, it really just depends on your own base worldview. If you are in the realpolitik slash realist camp, what I'm going to explain is completely fine. But if you're not in those camps, then it's totally not fine. I will preface this story by saying Emperor Zhao's actual literal personal role in all of this is up for debate too. But the policy decisions are what the real questions revolve around here. Emperor Zhao might have just been a puppet king who was too young to rule, and so this is completely not a mark on him. Or maybe it was, but that's not really the big question. So, here is what happened. The situation in question circles around the Xiyu people, a group mentioned before during the conquest spree of Emperor Wu. They inhabit a region that is in now modern-day northwest China. Essentially, a Xiyu kingdom known as the Luolan, L-O-U-L-A-N, had a ruler 
that was more or less a puppet-slash-ally of the Han Dynasty. Remember, they didn't just conquer all these lands and then immediately make them complete integral parts of the system where they had governors and whatnot, because that's expensive, and this is a far-out region, and it's easier just to have them be vassals, let them get acquainted with Han life, with Han military, with Han governance, and then maybe they'll be integrated into the full dynasty. So a few years before 77 BC, the puppet king of the Luolang people of the Xiyu died, and An Gui, one of his sons, succeeded him. And here is where the issues begin to show. An Gui, who, by the way, shares the same Chinese last name as me, succeeded to this position as king of the Lolan, not from Han's support, or from his own father's, really, but from overwhelming Xiongnu support. In the grand scheme of things, the Xiongnu, as mentioned many times already, were a far cry from what they once were. But in a region near the frontier, their dwindling overall geopolitical influence still held some sway. Look, the fact the Xiongnu pushed through their own puppet king in a frontier region, in all seriousness, is just a mild headache for the Han Dynasty as a whole. It's not the biggest deal. And looking at the histories, the Han didn't really help themselves in this region either. This Xiyu region was often called upon to protect imperial messengers, of whom were often rude, if not outright disrespectful to the locals. So when a Xiongnu-backed successor starts putting in an anti-Han and pro-Xiongnu policy king, it's really not that much of a shock. The people were okay with it. The Han kind of, well, they sucked. So why not? And look, due to this region's utter lack of significant geopolitical influence, Emperor Zhao and Guang. Or, and more realistically though, maybe just Hou Guang and the government opted for an easy solution. Liquidate this new Xiongnu-backed king. Emperor Zhao, or more likely again the Hou Guang-led regency government, sent a man named Fu Jiezi to kill Ang Gui, this Xiongnu-backed and allied king. Fu Jiezi would roll in under the title of being a messenger from the Han. And here's the controversy. Fu Jiezi, this fake Han messenger, proclaimed that he was there to give jewels and gifts to the new king. A sort of token of goodwill to An Gui. As you would expect, this eased tensions. An Gui took the opportunity to meet with Fu Jiezi, this messenger, for all he knew, was there just to keep up the good relations. There's nothing to be scared of. The meeting starts, some words I assume are spoken, but then Fu Jiezi does what he was sent to do and puts a dagger into An Gui's heart. Right in the heart. Yeah, An Gui dies. Instead of just bolting, though, and getting out of dodge, Fu Jiezi walks out and says that if anyone tries to grab him or not follow what he was about to say, the entire Han army would come and lay waste to them. He then stated that An Gui's more Han-leaning brother would now be king. 
And with that threat and those commands, the Luolang nobles obliged. So what's the controversy? Killing an enemy king or liquidating smaller provinces and vassals of their leadership is hardly new. It's been happening all the time in this story, and it's going to happen in other places around the world. This incident, though, was controversial because this was one incident in which the assassination of a foreign leader was just not justified. It was wholly unjustified. And it was particularly in the way it was done because he was using jewels as bait. It wasn't like he gave him a warning, join the Han or die, or drop the Xiongnu policies or die. He simply just told this new king, oh, I have some jewels for you. The king comes out and he kills him. But others who, like some people I know, lay in the more realpolitik camp. And they find that the strong do what they can and the weak will suffer what they must. They would find that Angwe should have been and was rightfully punished for his failure to submit to the Han Dynasty from the get-go. Like, come on, you knew the game plan here. You chose the Xiongnu and you paid the price for it. So, what do you think? Where would you side? Shoot me an email or comment on the post for this episode. I am actually genuinely intrigued to hear your guys' thoughts. Justified or not justified? Emperor Zhao, for his part, didn't have much time to ponder on this incident that happened in just after 77 BC, because in 74 BC, he would die. And even up till death, he never lost faith in Huo Guang, no matter what. Though while the issue of the king assassination was something Emperor Zhao didn't have to figure out, before death, he left one thing thoroughly undone at his time of death. He may have ruled for 13 years, but he died at 21, from what, by the way, we can ascertain were natural causes. But I'm 22, and I thankfully at this time lacked the same thing Emperor Zhao lacked at death, a child, an heir. While not having an heir to the History of China podcast is hardly the most shocking and dangerous situation to be in right now, dying without an heir to the throne of the entire Han dynasty? Yeah, that's a bit more destabilizing. So it fell to Huo Guang to find and install an heir. I told you a while back, though. Huo Guang lived and breathed for the Han dynasty. And here he is, picking emperors on merit. And not once does he even remotely look to promote himself or dithering on choosing who to put in power so he could have more power himself for longer. No, he goes out and tries to do the dynasty a solid. So let's hit this search head on. First off, Huoguang outright rejected the last son of Emperor Wu because this son was just not emperor material at, at all. Really, he wasn't. In brief, Huo Guang's investigation into this last son found him to be incompetent and impulsive. Yeah, not ideal. Another candidate had the same sort of list, but mainly just on the impulsive side. 
So then Wu Guang quickly turned to pretty much the last available person, Emperor Zhao's nephew, Liu He, who I will now call Prince He. He was a prince, and he was the Prince of Changyi. And after a quick and probably desperate investigation to clear him, and subsequently fill the, I mean, ginormous power vacuum that now existed, he was made emperor. But oh my, that investigation must have been quick. A little too quick. Because from day one, Prince He was a disaster. Full stop. If he had been looked into, I don't know, a little bit more, he probably would have never been brought up as a potential heir. Because an investigation into him that took a little deeper of a look would have brought up enough red flags for him to not even be considered at all. Not even in the conversation. So, what do I mean? Okay. While he was still a prince, the mayor of the town he was in told the then young Prince Hu that he should really stop his inappropriate behavior and simply learn more, study more, be more humble. Prince Hu did not take that advice and continued to live lavishly, be disrespectful, be entitled, and spent tons and tons of money at rates not sustainable at all and definitely not indicative of someone that will be capable of managing the royal coffers. Yeah, that's not great. And the best thing is that that criticism is documented. It could have been found. Also, this wasn't the first time. Prince Hu kept being told to get in line in the form of friendly advice and maybe more critical advice from contemporaries and underlings and advisors. And every time, I mean every time, he shook off the advice. So from the moment he became emperor, that behavior that could have been and should have been known just got put on anabolic steroids. Even on the way to the capital after being told to return because he was to be emperor, he asked for women, which he can't have during this time because the emperor just died. It is a state-mandated time of imperial mourning. And as the next emperor... He's kind of got to follow the customs of mourning, and one of them is, well, being celibate during the period of mourning. He knows this. So when he gets sort of called out for it, he blames a slave director, who in turn is executed for that offense that he obviously didn't do. Yikes. You can see where this is going to go, right? This is not going to be pretty. Prince He, the new emperor-to-be, is awful. This is what ends up happening. Upon arriving at the capital, Prince He immediately, and I mean day one, starts promoting all of his buddies from Chang'e to ludicrously high positions for no reason and with no merit. And the second one's a little more important. It's okay to promote your friends in the ancient world, but if they can't do their job and you're just doing it to uh, help the boys, mm, that's not a good way to run a state. Oh, and he starts spending money like a 12-year-old with his mom's credit card on a Fortnite account. And oh, he blatantly continues to disregard the mourning customs. Instead of mourning, 
He drinks, he throws lavish feasts, he sees the ladies, etc., etc. You get the picture. Prince He is a spoiled teenager. And he wasn't going to let anyone get in the way of him having a good time. And I say teenager. It's assumed he's a teenager. He could be in his early 20s, maybe mid-20s. But like a lot of characters in this part of the story, the birth year is uh, not known. But he acts like a 12-year-old, but he's not 12. So you get the idea. Huo Guang, a devout servant of the Han Dynasty, realized that this guy was not going to fly. But depose him? That would be unprecedented. What in the world would he do? He picked this guy, and he's the worst. He can't kill him realistically, so then what? What in the world is he going to do? And then comes the agricultural minister, Tian Yan Nian. He suggests we should depose this guy. We should get rid of him in a governmental way. In a legal way, sort of. So Huo Guang, realizing that this guy, is, I mean this seriously, is less than two weeks into the job and he's the worst, begins to consult with other people. He meets with a high-ranking general, General Zhang Anshu, and he meets with the prime minister, who all agree, this guy's the worst. And he's so new and has no friends that if we all kind of band together here, we can kind of push this guy out. So the prime minister agreed to sort of join this coup or plot or impeachment because of his wife. And this is where the story comes full circle again, because the prime minister was a key person in a potential plot here. And his wife was named Sima Ying. Yep, his wife was the daughter of Sima Qian. And she said, honey, you better push this guy out. And so, well, the history say it was because of his wife, and he eventually goes along with it. So, Huo Guang is about to do something thoroughly unprecedented. Because just literally 27 days into the new emperor's reign, Huo Guang and this little cohort of high-ranking officials decided enough was enough. But they had to get Prince Hu into a room with all of them. So they said, okay, we're all high-ranking members. We can just say that, you know what, Mr. Emperor, you need to meet with all of us. So they get all of the high-level officials involved with this. They explain to the rest of them that, look, we're getting rid of this guy. And then this is the fun part. Before the emperor arrived, Huo Guang and the cohort that were all in on it said, look, you're either with this plan or you're going to die. So that happened. So you can tell that they're serious. It was join or die. Now, this is the best part. Because ancient China is an unbelievably patriarchal society. But in this situation, it is the decisions and opinions of a female that carry the most weight. Because they went to the Empress Dowager to report to her and say, look, this is our plan. Here's everything he's done that's wrong and he's broken the rules and you know he's broken laws. He cannot be emperor, which again is unprecedented because every emperor did that. And guess what? She agreed. And she said, look, not only should Prince He be brought in, but all of his buddies from Chang'e, they should be barred from this place forever. 
And by the way, he had brought some like 200 people into the palace by this point. So, in a fell swoop, every single one of Prince He's little minions from Changyi were rounded up and arrested. And then the Empress Dowager summoned Prince He. He more than likely knew that something was a little off when the Empress Dowager was seated on her throne, wearing her most formal dress made of jewels, and then all the officials lined up behind her. I mean, this is a scene out of a movie. Here's the Dowager. Here she is, decked to the nines in her regal clothing, and the entire effective government of the Han Dynasty is standing right behind her, glaring at him. So, what happened? Huo Guang and the other officials then read their articles of impeachment. And they were read out loud in front of the Empress Dowager because she was the one that had to make the end decision. And this is the best part. After hearing them, the Empress Dowager then verbally accosted Prince Hu. So in these articles of impeachment, they were about, well, there were specifically 1,127 examples of misconduct. This guy has been in the palace for 27 days. You can imagine how much this guy sucked. Pardon my language. 27 days and he's got over a thousand examples of misconduct. But here are the main offenses. Refusal to abstain from meat and sex during the period of mourning. Failure to keep the imperial safe secure. Improperly promoting and rewarding his Changyi subordinates during the period of mourning. Engaging in feasts and games during the period of mourning. Offering sacrifices to his father during the period of mourning for his uncle. God, if you were handed the keys to the kingdom and all you had to do was just follow some simple rules, I'm sure the average person could have just followed it. But Prince Hood didn't, and the Empress Dowager approved all the articles, and she commanded that Prince Hood was effectively no longer emperor. He wasn't executed, though, because this was a weird sort of legal way to go about it. He was transported under, a, I assume, a bunch of people and brought back to Chang'e. Him and Huo Guang had a sit-down where they both apologized and said, you know, I'm sorry, I messed up, and Huo Guang said, I'm sorry for putting you through this. And look, again... It may have been a patriarchal society to no end, but the Empress Dowager here was the playmaker. She made the thing actually happen. And Prince Su, to his credit, actually takes this in stride. He accepted a demoted noble position, he was made Marquis, and he would slowly vanish from history living on an estate. And you might have realized that I never referred to Liu He as emperor anything. He never got a regal title. Well, he might have, but Huo Guang, after this whole debacle, wiped Liu He from the official list of emperors. He took 27 days later to the extreme. Killian Murphy has got nothing on Prince He. So... Here begs the question, now what? Huo Guang would yet again prove his loyalty to the state. He could have just used this impeachment to promote himself, 
or someone literally connected to him by blood or something like that. But no, he doesn't do that. And what he decides to do next brings Emperor Wu's story full circle. Huo Guang grabs Emperor Wu's original crown prince's son. So Emperor Wu's grandson. Remember him, the original crown prince who was caught up in the crazy witch hunts and subsequently died? Yeah, but his own son lived on. And now it comes full circle because that son, granted he was on a very short list at this point of suitable heirs, was picked and made Emperor Xuan, X-U-A-N, in 73 BC. Huoguang being Huoguang, gave the new emperor all of his powers back. He turned them over back to the emperor, said, Sir, my service is done. Here are all the government powers. And in a sign of good things to come, Emperor Xuan was able to realize a good thing when he saw one and insisted Huo Guang stay on as his closest advisor and maintain some of his power. He said that Huo Guang, this is how the process was going to work now, Huo Guang would be shown all matters of state first, and if Huo Guang deemed them important enough, then and only then would he kick them up to the emperor. It's a win-win situation. You have a great advisor here, and you can trust him, so you don't have to be saddled with every single matter of business. Huo Guang can be a little filter. He'll make most things happen, and if it's a job for the emperor, then and only then will it be kicked up to him. So, Emperor Wu, we're going back here, left the Han Dynasty in a potentially dangerous situation. And I've said this already, but his hiring of Huo Guang as regent essentially stopped this dangerous situation from becoming terminal. Huo Guang kept the state on track through a child king, internal strife, a shocking early death, an insolent spoiled emperor, a shock impeachment and ended up sitting there in 73 BC as the most trusted man in the dynasty to the new emperor. And this emperor is going to rule like a normal one, finally. In all honesty, looking back, it's amazing that things are somehow still on track for the Han dynasty. At seemingly any other point in this podcast, and thus all Chinese history up until 73 BC, these recurring negative circumstances would have most certainly led to chaos. I mean, you can't have the internal strife, a child king, a child king dying, no heir, then a bad replacement, and then an impeachment. You can't have all that, and somehow the state is fine? It's just chugging along? So things are in a good place for the Han Dynasty. Dense episode, I know. But next week, we will start putting some years behind us. I just thought the stories here needed a little more detail, so we didn't move through that many years. So, thank you, and remember to check out the website, follow and share the show, and if you are so inclined, donations are always appreciated. Let me know, though, what you think in regards to the killing of An Gui. Was it justified? Was it not justified? Was it the cold reality of ancient politics? Thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you all next time on the History of China. <laughs> <laughs>